I just saw Jack again. Where? Here? Yeah. What did he say? He said that tomorrow I'll turn into a monster. Do you believe him? Do you believe me? I believe that you're very upset. I believe that you loved him very much and that somehow you blame yourself for his death. Did you ever see the wolf man? Is that the one with Oliver Reed? No, the old one. Mm, I, I don't think so. Bella Lugosi bites Lon Chaney Jr. and he turns into a werewolf. Why are you telling me this? No, listen. Claude Rains is Lon Chaney's father and he ends up killing him. So? Well, I think that a werewolf can only be killed by someone who loves him. What are you talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about. Your move, creep. Your move, creep. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Flying saucers, which are really, yeah, you got it, time machines. I think a lot about this I kind of stuff. About this kind of stuff. This kind of stuff. <laughs> you think this is the real Quaid? It is. It is. It is. It is. It is. Okay, welcome to the very first episode of Terror Tinos. I dig it. It's like <laughs> we put the panic in Hispanic. We're putting the terror in Tarantino's. Uh, so this is a movie discussion podcast hosted by a couple old school movie fanatics. My name is Mike Morales, and I am here with Angel Mad Dog DeLeon. <laughs> and uh, to, like to quickly give you an introduction of who, of who we are and probably why we created this pod is that uh, we are a couple old school friends from way back who knew each other when we were teenagers. And uh, we're now in our, you know, we're in our 40s. <laughs> and uh, I think, uh, um, w you know, we thought this was a great way to to kind of reunite and talk about the stuff we used to talk, talk about back then, which is basically about our love uh, of movies, our kind of shared love and passion for for movies and pop culture, and I think this 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 podcast was is going to give us an opportunity to relive those teenage years and do what we used to do, like shoot the shit. That's what we wanted to do. And yeah, and a lot like movies, older ones were cool, like we were cooler back in the day. <laughs> yeah. So these were cool movies mm -hmm. when we were cool, not lame movies. Like we're lame now. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I think I, I think this podcast will give us a way to rediscover some of our favorite movies from the 80s and 90s, which tended to be cult movies, horror movies, uh, sci-fi, kind of these like wacky, bizarre genre films and, and kind of watch them again with older eyes. And, and uh, you know, because we picked for our first episode American Werewolf in London, which is a classic horror movie, horror comedy movie. And I found it rewatching it for, you know, because I haven't seen this movie maybe over a decade. And I found it to be really interesting to see it in kind of a more like a historical context because, you know, it has been so long since I've seen this movie. And this movie just, you know, really scared the shit out of me when I was younger. And so I think it's a it, now that I'm older and I can really understand what they were trying to trying to fit, you know, trying to say with the movie. Yeah. Even if you're not a movie buff or I'm sorry, a horror buff, mm -hmm. anybody over 30 has seen this movie. It's pretty eclectic. If you watch movies, you've seen it. You know what I mean? It's a, it's like 
a movie that everybody has to watch to be somebody who watches movies. Yeah, or you heard about this movie, or you know, because so many films kind of uh, uh, take notes from this movie, or you know, they 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 use or they're it, compared to it. Yeah, or they use it as references, you know. And so it's a, a it, and I wanted to really kind of start this this podcast with something that this you know with this movie because it, this movie meant a lot to us when we were younger, and it and it left like this indelible mark on our, our on our psyche really <laughs> on our young uh, young minds. And uh, it, it as as long as I've known you, Angel, you have always been a huge fan of werewolves and it's a mythology. And I think it's safe to say that, you know, American Werewolf in London is one of your favorite movies, if not your favorite movie of all time. Well, top five. It's mm. my favorite horror movie. Uh, werewolves would be my favorite horror genre. But it's funny because you said you haven't seen it in like 10 years. I saw it like three weeks ago <laughs> before we even talked about the podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's one of the movies that I will watch if I come across it or I'll just be like, hey, I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah. And I'll throw it in. It's just, to me, it's always been that good. And I remember when, when I was a kid, it was it was the movie that was on that I had to leave the room because I was so afraid. Yeah. It, it, it was scary, but it was bizarre. It was kind of weird, but it was also kind of, it also felt very adult, you know, like the, like we shouldn't be watching this movie when we're, I mean, I, when, how old were you when you first watched this film? Uh, first, well, okay. The thing is, the first time I was ever... I guess you would say uh, exposed to it was watching the thriller video. Yeah. <laughs> we we watched thriller at my uh, godmother's house, and then it went straight into the making of it. You got Rick Baker and all his stuff, and then they showed clips from it. And I remember my heart stopping, <laughs> like somebody stopped this. And like, I will not sleep for the next couple months because every time I close my eyes, it was coming for me. And I mean, like six, seven. I think Thriller came out around 82 or something. 82, 83, yeah. 83, maybe. But, I mean, it, it, I, I was very young when, when Thriller came out. And I, I remember it in, like, the video store. And they were promoting it. And it was, like, I don't know if people remember this. But it was, like, the top best-selling video yeah, it was, it was of all time. It was the first million-dollar music video. Yeah. Yeah, music videos didn't cost that much money. It was a person singing that they recorded. But this was a movie in a video together it was amazing and and you could buy it like the first day you know it oh, wasn't yeah. it wasn't like on mtv i mean it was but it, it was something that you could you, you i mean i think a lot of ways the thriller it started the kind of the vhs craze and thriller is you know the same team that did american werewolf in london you got director john landis I think it's the same cinematographer, the same uh, music from uh, um, Elmer Bernstein, and so and also Brick Baker. Both worked on the, on these both movies. Brick Baker, the the genius. It's kind of like they they had like a little get together a couple of years after the <laughs> American Werewolf. They said, "Hey, let's do another werewolf thing." And it just so happened to be at the same time he was in line <laughs> to make a a video. But think about it. Think about the first time you wanted to watch a music video. You didn't. You know what I mean? You either watched a movie or you listened to music. 
but music videos they were just it was literally like a portion of a concert it was never its own entity and then when thriller came out i mean that was a story that was a movie even the oh yeah i remember being scared to death of just the video like as soon as they ran out of gas i got my ass out of the room because <laughs> i knew it was coming man it's also that score too that like kind of the score the score from elmer bernstein and he in like i'll play a little clip of thriller just to give you a, a reminder um, okay, i'm gonna close my eyes <laughs> i have something i want to tell you Yes, Michael. I'm not like other guys. Of course not. That's why I love you. No, I mean I'm different. What are you talking about? Yes, I remember that moment. That's the moment that really scared the shit out of me. I got to be honest. It feels like I'm seven years old. I'm sitting on my <laughs> sitting Indian style in front of the TV. As soon as you played that, I started trying to crawl backwards. And it was like someone was dragging me closer and closer to the TV. And it was just like scratching the floor trying not to. Oh, like goosebumps, man. I haven't heard. And you're right. It's the it's even the the like the tone yeah just the it sounds like you're outside and it's it's overwhelming it's like it, he engaged all the senses you know what i mean just through that absolutely just through the sound everything so good yeah john landis you know this is like you know i think the what was what's so good about john landis with with with, with this movie with american werewolf from london that he he understands classic monster movies and he was able to apply that with the thriller video both of these projects are kind of brother and sister and i think when i was watching the music video they had one of the best making up making of documentaries and that was the first time i saw john landis and saw rick baker but it's also the first time i really understood understood what directing was and what makeup was and what that what had a what they had to do to make this stuff come alive you know i i didn't it, it was such a weird concept that once I saw that documentary, then I realized, well, okay, this this is all make believe, and I, I I got less scary, you know, I wasn't I wasn't as petrified, and that's like 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 you, I, that was the first time I saw the clips from American Werewolf in London, but I, I think we were luckier than we know because it was it was it was two two people on their way to prolific careers, yeah, coming together very early. And having free reign and kind of saying, hey, whatever you want to do, do it. You know what I mean? It's like, I want this to be like nothing that's ever been done. And uh, it's, it was, it was, it was very good job of like, like a little tidbit into what their futures were both going to be as far as like how they were going to master their craft. And I mean, like still, you can't be Rick Baker school. Oh, Everything he does is just amazing. And I mean, he doesn't just do the horror genres. He does all kinds of sci-fi special effects. So good. 
Yeah, it's movie magic, and it's it's what they used to do back then. This is before CGI. Yeah, and it feel you know I think with this type of makeup, it it feels more tactile or something. It's it, it's it's something. It, it's much different. I mean, I know. I mean, I know. Like CGI has gone through a really great process that it's almost you know very very believable the stuff that they could do in a computer, but there is still something about like monster makeup and being in the in the you know be, having an actor in the same set of, of a creature design you know i think that's why guillermo del toro's movies are so great because he's still he's a he's a filmmaker who kind of still believes in the in the, in the creature Old designs yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly i mean don't try to fool the eye when you can just do it so did you see american werewolf in london in a like video or did you see on cable or regular television first time i ever saw it was at this at my same godmother's house she had that movie and every time we watch a thriller video and i got scared Uh she told me the only way i'm gonna get over it is if i watch the movie and then (laughs) i said well it doesn't look like i'm ever gonna get over it because i'm never gonna watch that movie (laughs) and then i think one time i like thought i had the Thought I had the minerals and we put it in. And I mean, it hits you right in the beginning. So like within the first 20 minutes, I was like, oh man, this was a mistake. <laughs> and I don't want to seem like a wuss and everybody else is watching it. So, I mean, the parts where my eyes were open, but you're, you're a kid. You don't understand if you close your ears or plug your ears, <laughs> mm-hmm. nothing scary because nothing jumps. But yeah, I watched it on a video, like big screen back in the day, what, 27 inch? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Laying down in the... <laughs> The middle of the living room yeah and i mean i like every light was on for the next couple weeks when i went to bed like the hallways everything and was this like like the movie that started started your love for werewolves or this is actually the first movie i ever remember watching and i know oh, i wow. watched movies really? before it yeah but what it was was nothing stuck to me yeah, it's strange because I haven't seen this movie for over a decade, and so when I rewatched it like a couple of days ago, I can I could remember almost every scene. Almost, I mean, it, I just recently watched *They Live*, the John, the great classic John Carpenter movie, which I loved and yeah. watched many times. And I just watched it like a month ago, and I'm like, oh, I totally forgot this ending. <laughs> like it was, yeah. like, but this movie for whatever reason it like it seared into my memory banks like i i remember every scene i remember the the transformation scene i remember all the classic stuff but even like some of the smaller scenes with with the nurse you know with nurse alex and and even like with with david and jack's relationship you know and their development it's like i kind of just remember it it just it's because it's it was something that was so special and scary when i was young you know it was something that just you remember forever and it's weird too because when you break it all the way down it's it's a very basic straight story you know what i mean yeah yeah and then it it's funny too because like you said uh, david and jack they don't have a lot of on-screen time before jack is killed you know Mm. what i mean so you get the intro to see how close they are and then you actually get the more, you get a better in-depth feeling of how true friends they are post-mortem for Jack because they interact a lot more and he's actually his only advocate after David, you know, inherits the curse. Yeah. Like Jack is literally the only one that doesn't just want him to 
run into traffic and kill himself. Yeah. Yeah. And their relationship, it's, you know, it, it's so relatable because they feel like real people. They feel like they're like, they could be real buddies in real life. And, um, I should we should also mention that if if anyone who hasn't seen American Werewolf in London go watch it now we highly recommend it and then come back because we're gonna dive into this movie and we're gonna tear it apart like a werewolf. Uh, we want to break this down, uh, you know, like almost uh, really talk about the major pop plot points in the in the movie. Uh, w- let's just start by with, with some of the kind of credentials. Uh, this wait, wait uh, real yeah, quick, I yeah. just want to say, okay, if you ask. If you ask anybody who's who watches movies, okay. what's your favorite werewolf movie? Like you're gonna get top two or three is gonna say American Werewolf in London. Anybody who says like the second Twilight, <laughs> instantly punch them in the throat and throw them into traffic because you know we don't want those people. We're talking like, I mean this this is it's the what is that? What do they say there? quintessential werewolf yeah. movie yeah yeah like and literally that's what everything if you want to talk werewolf movie they're going to always put it up against us and it's not a long flick it's not the first big bus big blockbuster werewolf movie but it's the one that everybody remembers it's it's timeless it's a timeless horror movie horror comedy and it's it's the one that uh kind of lives forever because mainly because it's like it's so it's such a great classical horror uh story and um for whatever reason i don't know why people haven't cracked that code because we they there were some attempts to make some werewolf movies before like a couple years ago and they just couldn't do it and this this tends american werewolf in london tends to tends to be the one that they say is the last great one you know like it's for whatever reason uh filmmakers seems to fail at this subgenre. It's it's weird too because it's not like there's not people trying. Mm-hmm. It's just they're they're taking swings and they're not getting a piece of the ball at all. But these guys they knocked it out of the park. What was like the last great werewolf movie? Was it this movie? <sighs> uh, great, yeah. There have been some good ones. But as far as like I mean, like you're going to get people that are going to put the original Howling, right? Uh, and this one, top five, or if you go even one and two, they might reverse them. Uh, anybody who knows anything, you'd always have to put where American Werewolf first, and then the Howling. And the Howling was a great book, great story. It's everything about it is great. It's just that when they decided to do the movie, tell the story, and do the effects, they kind of. It's like there was A and B, and they chose B as far as like, hey, let's go on location. Let's let's spend less money on this and more money on that. And uh-huh. they, they chose wrong because the werewolves, they show more, but they're all, I mean, for, I think there's 1980 they made it. So it was, it was no, for it the was, time. It was the same year. It was the same year, 1981 as American 1981? Yeah. Yeah. It's just they, they didn't have the same caliber, you mm-hmm. know. Of well, special effects. The story goes that Rick Baker was working on on the Howling, Howling, and uh, because he, because yeah, no, 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 the, he was already kind of committed to work on American Werewolf in London, but John Landis, Landis was already he didn't have he didn't get financing for it, you know, because he was and also he was busy working on the those you know, those comedies, and I think once the Blues Brothers hit, 
and became this phenomenon. Uh, um, Landis was had the choice of whatever choice he wanted, and he wanted yeah, to do, free. He wanted to do he wanted to do this passion project, and so when he called up Rick Baker, Baker says, "Well, I'm actually working on the Howling." And he goes, no, 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 no! I got the money. Let's do this. You and were he, working on the house, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Baker, ba- uh, Rick Baker had to leave that project, and he gave that off to Rob Boating, who is his apprentice at the time. Is also a kind of a famous uh, makeup guy. He went on, he went on to do RoboCop and uh, Total Recall. He's also he also is famous for doing John Carpenter's The Thing. All the aliens. Oh yeah, Did, so yeah, no, that guy's he's. He's top notch. Yeah, so it just might have been too much too early. Yeah, and also the probably the budget and the schedule, yeah. all that factors in. So and he was and like I said, the American Werewolf is one, one werewolf. This one was, dude. This maybe in some scenes there were four or five, six, seven. So that's got to kill the creative ability. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is also a cult classic. I mean, we can't take away. Oh, dude, I love it. I watch it all the time. <laughs> Uh, but, um, yeah, so let's, let's just get into the American Werewolf of London. You know, obviously this is written and directed by John Landis. The cast includes David Nodden, who plays David Kessler, uh, Griffin Dunn. He plays Jack Goodman. And there is a British actress, uh, Jenny Aguilet or Aguder, Aguder. She plays, uh, nurse Alex Price. And that's basically the main cast. I mean, it's just like you were saying, this is a kind of a simple movie. And for those who don't know what this movie is, it's basically two Americans uh, backpacking in England. They're traveling through the Moors, which is a North region of England. And they get attacked by a werewolf. One dies, one survives. And the one who survives has to you know figure carries out carries out the curse yeah yeah carries out the curse and he has to figure out if if he's going crazy or not or is he really going to be turning into a werewolf at the next full moon and you know the movie starts when we see david and jack They're, these are the main dudes right the main american guys and we see them in the back of a truck with sheep That's East Proctor. It's all about here at Moors. I go this way. Thanks for the ride, sir. <clears throat> you have lovely sheep. Boys, keep off the moors. Stick to the roads. The best of luck. Which is like kind of the obvious metaphor that, you know, a wolf will see them as food or they're, they're just easy yeah, to like pick. like lambs to the slaughter. <laughs> yeah. So they're kind of easy targets right away. And I, I really like what John Landis does because he starts off this kind of... Uh, we get this conversation with 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 Jack, David and Jack, and they're Jack is talking about his childhood crush, who he's been lusting for over over the years. And I, what I really kind of like about this stuff is this is not like exposition st- dialogue. This is really kind of it's really here to to establish David and Jack's friendship, so we can we could get a sense of their characters. And I think right away within like maybe the first ten minutes, we can r- really understand who's who and why they're best friends. Well, there's even the part where he says, uh, how long have we known her? Like eight years? You know, how many years of foreplay is that? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it even gives you the background of how long they've been friends. Yeah, it's like right away, we know these characters. And I think what 
that's what's so appealing to these two two guys because they don't they're not a typical heroes of a horror movie or they're kind of just normal dudes who just looking for a good time and it it, it reminds me of uh, like what we could have done back in the day if we traveled if we wanted to travel or something this is kind of the same kind of conversation we would have or something yeah because their opening dialogue is one complaining to the other because he chose that shitty route instead of going through uh, what northern Italy? They're <laughs> yeah, yeah, tromping yeah. through the moors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so friends love to blame each other. <laughs> but then you can see that it is like a, like a brotherly uh, friendship here. And so at this point, they get to a uh, like a, uh, a a local pub called the Slaughtered Lamb, and it, uh, they have an interesting conversation right before they walk in. You're right. It is a pub. Okay. Well, what do you say? We go in for a little food, huh? Drink, rest. The slaughtered lamb. That's kind of strange. Where's the lamb? It's probably inside getting cold. Come on. No, really. What kind of ad is that for a pub? I don't know. Would you rather the Hilton? All right. But whatever happens, it's, it's your fault. fault. Right. All right, come on. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Nice to see you. Yeah, I, I really love this point in the, in the film because it's kind of like the point of no return now. It's like this is the moment where I think the audience gets gets an inkling that David and Jack may have made a grave mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is, you know, they're, th this was supposed to be like a backpacking trip in England and they were supposed to meet the, these girls. You know, they, they're, they're supposed to be a fun time in Europe and, and they're going to visit a lot of these exotic places. But no, they're kind of in the middle of nowhere in England. They're cold, they're hungry, and now they just stepped into this like godforsaken pub like and it's filled with like a bunch of angry looking intimidating looking british locals and uh, uh i thought the the scene was like excellent because it's really because it goes right away you, you know that uh, you know there may be in deep trouble well it's uh, it's like landis's version of the record scratch yeah 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 <laughs> and everybody just looks it's like it's, you, a, it's a little bit like a throwback to his uh, uh, scene in Animal House when they when the, the 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 frat boys walk into the black club and the music uh, stops. Yeah. <laughs> we are gonna die, Boone. We're the only white people here. Mind if we dance with your boots? <laughs> yes. So he's kind of doing like a throwback. I mean, or at least it's the idea. You know, like oh oh. Maybe we stepped into the wrong club, or pub, yeah, you pub. could you could see they they are instantly not welcome. There's you know what I mean. There's nothing warm and inviting about this group of people at all. Oh no no no! And they don't like outsiders or Americans. Nope. <laughs> they don't. I don't. Yeah, it's like it's it's very cold. It's probably even colder inside than outside. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know what I like is that like, I think this scene really kind of shows like David and 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 Jack's uh, lack of like experience when it comes to traveling abroad. Or you know, there's an awkwardness in this and 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 adapting to this kind of situation. Yeah, and it's almost like they they have a vague plan as opposed to a very detailed itinerary. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just yeah. making it up as they go. Yeah, along. they're just going. Yeah, as they go along. <laughs> Yeah, and David, I think David and Jack are probably thinking to themselves that, oh, 
this trip is not going to be a, a smooth sailing. You know, th this trip is going to have some really big bumps. And uh, I, you know, like I said, I think Jelandis does a really good job of establishing their friendship. And, and I think right away we know the dynamic. You know, David is kind of the wide-eyed uh, optimist. You know, he's a little bit of a, a daydreamer. And then Jack is kind of like the wisecracking realist. And maybe even a little bit of a pessimist. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> David really comes off as like kind of the typical dumb American traveler. <laughs> Where I think Jack, you know, he kind of represents, I think he represents more us, the audience. I think he's 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 more astute. He's more aware of his surroundings. And he's I guess he's a little bit more cautious and careful than, than David. Uh, but then that's what makes them such a great team. They're kind of the yin to the yang or whatever you know yeah but you see that in most friendships dude there's one that's one way the other that's how they work i mean and you could it's so funny too because when they walk in you can hear how much fun everyone's having <laughs> until these two come in and it's like have you ever instantly just pissed off 20 people just by being there it's like boom <laughs> I know it's and like, they're, they're still so young though too they just stand there yeah when you're watching it and they, they wait kind of for the barkeeper the bartender lady to invite them in you know i think we even had something like that happen to when we were young <laughs> like remember that party in in under under hill <laughs> where we just walked uh, in <laughs> you mean to the the actual gang party that we didn't know and yeah. we showed up and Oopsie. Uh, yeah. it, it's kind of like that situation where we were, we, we were Jack and David, and, you know, like, oh, shit. Uh, maybe. Except everybody that looked at us was bald. <laughs> Tattoos. <laughs> Tattoos. <laughs> and wearing Nike Cortez. <laughs> You made me miss. You made me miss. Sorry. I've never missed that board before. Uh, Jack, we better go. Are you kidding? I'm starved. There's no food here. You know, Landis is able to mix comedy with like these really intense scenes that I mean, it's like almost genius the way he does it. It's like it's it's funny, but it's also we know that that he, you know, they're feeling like, oh, no, this is a really unpleasant experience now and this ain't fun anymore. And, uh, and he was Landis is able to kind of combine that with comedy. Yeah, but I found that this one particular scene, it's almost like Jack and David switch. Because now Jack doesn't care. He just wants to drink. David is actually acutely aware that they're about to get their, their uh, worlds rocked if they don't get the hell out of there. Yeah, that's true. David's he kind noticed, of... He noticed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so obvious this time that he actually noticed. <laughs> yeah, but not, yeah, but it's like the bloom is off the rose at this point because like the trip has now become like, uh oh we're in a really deep, you know, we're in deep shit. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like... Uh, the uh, England uh, version of Deliverance. <laughs> they might have gone uh, too far up the river on this, or they might have to get out of there real fast. So, you know, at this point, David and Jack, you know, they leave the pub and they're now on, you know, supposed to stick on the road. But, you know, yeah, they did get some advice before they left. <laughs> they say, you know, stick on the stick to the road and beware of the moon, fa you know, famous line in the movie. And, 
they figure out that they're being hunted by some kind of beast or some kind of dog, they say. Oh, shit. What is it? Yeah. It's a sheepdog or something. Come on, turn slowly. Let's walk away. Nice doggy. Good boy. Come on, Jack. Walk away. Walking away. Yes, here we are. Walking away. Can you see anything? No. Sounds far away. Not far enough. Come on. Jack. What? Where are we going? I don't know. I'll tell you when we get there. Okay, because... Oh! You really scared me, you shithead. Are you going to help me up or what? I, uh, what I like about John Landis here, you know, with his camera tricks, because it's he's not really a flashy filmmaker at all. I mean, he kind of understands where to place the camera and where to move the camera. And I, I think he understands, particularly in this scene, he understands his limitations, especially when regarding uh, the, the special effects. And because he doesn't have a big budget to show the animal in full body shot. You know, so he kind of uses the camera to circle David and Jack in this scene. And it's almost like the POV of the werewolf. Oh, yeah. But uh, I was going to say, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Before that, the um, I think what really unnerved me as a kid was the sound. Yeah. The sound of the creature, because it's yeah. not a wolf. It's not a man. It's it's the the first sound is almost sounded like a trash can kind of being moved along a street it was like a guttural and then i was like like i remember because you can't even see it yet and i remember how scary that sounded and then there was another sound and it sounded like it was from completely opposite side and it was like what the like when they're trying to figure out what the hell that is i was trying to figure out what the hell that is because you know i grew up around dogs and <laughs> you know i've heard people and it's like dude that's nothing that's that's not a dog sound dogs don't make that sound you know what i mean i watch nature shows that's not a wolf sound what the hell is that yeah, and I mean, it's—I don't know how he made the sounds or who came up with them, but those—it's brilliant. Uh, it's brilliant because it's a—it's yes. like a loud, piercing screech, but it's also something very animalistic about it. It's also—it was it, and it's almost like a—it's 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 a gurgle. It's like a deepness. It's just a—it yeah. like comes from deep, but it's so funny because it's even with like back in the day when I watched it on TV, it had there's a little speaker, but <laughs> yeah, you yeah. could. Attached to the TV, but it still sounded like there was such a depth. You know what I mean? It yeah. was insane. It w- and it was it, honestly, it was eerie. Like just, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you do a concept of sound like how they break that down and how they get a room full of people and play a bunch of different ones and then they vote on which one's the scariest <laughs> because that one, everybody's hand was in the air for that one. Yeah, that was a like like a, like what we're saying. It's it's a, it's a tremendous kind of sound design where if it's hair raising it's, it's like really scary it's even is that is it's even as important as as the makeup itself i mean it, it, it plays a part yeah and as you said uh he doesn't it didn't have the greatest of like i guess you would say screen tricks but he understood that he was getting us excited and as soon as um david tripped yeah. we all like took a breath <laughs> like oh and then boom, he hit you with it, man. It was it, so good. It's a, it's a, it's like the classic misdirection where you go, yeah. oh, okay, you know, oh, it's okay now. But then boom, Jack gets clobbered by the werewolf and he gets chewed up into pieces. And it, you know, I think the 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 camera tricks that Landis uses must have been something that he studied from watching the low budget horror movies from the forties and fifties. I mean, it's just so classical in that way. And I, but really, then he was. 
no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and then he's smart because instead of sitting there watching it, he takes off with Jack. I'm sorry. He takes off with David. That's what I was David runs. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to say. David's reaction in this scene is priceless because he yeah. immediately runs away. And we can hear Jack in the background, off camera, like getting slaughtered, getting torn into pieces. Dude, and, and the last thing you hear is him saying, he's killing me. <laughs> if you watch it, that's the last thing. He's like, he's killing me. He's killing me, Jack. And then it trails off, and that's when David's like, "Oh, I gotta go back there." Yeah, after after running for a little bit, yeah. David then stops in his tracks, and he says, "Jack," you know. And then I gotta be honest, I've known you a long time. I'm not going back. <laughs> that happens with me and you. You you took one for the team, bro. <laughs> well, I. I yeah, I know. I, well, like, that's what I kind of love about it. I love this idea that D- David is really thinking about self-preservation at this moment, and he's, you know, it's a kind of a basic human instinct to run away when you're in, when your life is in danger, and I think that's what makes this so such a strong script from from John Landis because he made he makes these characters feel very real, and they were acting how a real person would react to a, a werewolf attack, right? So I think that's why David is, and Jack are so relatable, you know? And 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 when when David r- runs back to help his friend after after initially running away, he gets attacked and he gets scratched and then he wakes up a weeks later in the hospital. But the the scene where he's looking down at Jack's body mm-hmm. right before the werewolf gets him, it's 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 perfect because you could still see steam. Oh yeah, yeah. Coming off of the parts of him because you know he's he was opened up, so all his hots are now exposed, and you can see trickles. And I mean, very, 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 uh, very key to detail. You know what I mean? They were like whoever was in charge of saying, "Hey, we need to make this look like realistic as possible." Great job. That could be just it's, from from just being on the set, you know, or being on location uh, and a real worked, location. Though. Yeah, that was good because it was like it was like you could see somebody was pumping blood still through it, you know, just to make the wounds bleed. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it's funny too because when when David gets attacked, it's the same setup. You know, what I mean, it's almost like he used the same the same motif where he stops. You're not expecting it, and then he it kind of comes from the side. And so, like you know, you know, weeks later, David walks, uh, wakes up in the in the hospital, and w- he is in in London, and he's asking for Jack. And I think in a lot of, in a lot of ways, this is the whole point of the movie. Like Jack or, or David is just so tremendously guilty for leaving his friend to die that I think he's getting. This is basically like a whole movie about survivor's guilt. And I think that's what makes this movie different than, say, something like the the, the classic Lon Chaney Wolfman movie, which is about a family a family curse. And uh, and but I think this movie really just is about guilt and how it man- manifested into a series of ter- uh, terrifying dreams or nightmares for David. And I think that whole aspect is what drives this movie: his guilt, David's guilt, and it, it becomes more kind of inward psychological you know i never thought about that part of it i always thought the dreams and everything was because he's like the actual change you know to physically that now he's becoming the beast but i like your aspect too because i mean it's like especially in the beginning he thinks it's just a figment of his imagination because and that could be due to the guilt of like walking like he could have if he didn't run maybe 
Jack had a chance, you know what I mean? If he jumped on that creature right away. Yeah. They don't go into it, but you're right. He, sh- he should feel guilty because, I mean, he it was a Fito filming now type of <laughs> He took off. He was a track star. And you think about it, he was on the ground asking for help. His friend gets attacked and all of a sudden he's running full speed. He didn't need too much help getting up. He just needed a little inspiration. I think that's what Landis is doing with this movie. He's kind of modernizing this film. Uh, he's modernizing the, I mean, the, he's modernizing like the old classic Universal monster movie. And he's putting his spin on the, the Wolfman story. And I think he's adding a few things with, with, a, with the Wolfman mythology, at least in cinematic terms, with these nightmares. I got out of it from watching this second time or this new this watching it again for you know this recently that that David's filled with guilt and I think it makes much more sense because David and Jack are Jewish Americans. I think that plays a part of it. John Landis is Jewish and I think he comes from that generation that post-war Jewish generation where they they heard the stories of their relatives and their grandparents being killed during the war. And I think that has caused a tremendous amount of psychological guilt to that whole generation. And I think that plays into this movie a lot because you think about that particular nightmare sequence, the dream within the dream sequence where David imagines his entire family getting gunned down by not just Nazis, but mutant Nazis, you know, yeah, mutant Nazis. <laughs> So I think it's I think it I, it might play a part. I think it really does. I think guilt is the what what Landis puts you know adds to this Wolfman genre. Yeah, you know I never I never never really put those together, but yeah, it does make a lot of sense. And I wouldn't have and I I was thinking, how did you know that they were Jewish? But then you're taking it from the whole circumcision thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they, they kind of mention, you know, they're they're Jewish. I mean, that that that's the thing about watching it with older eyes. You kind of understand uh, the, some of the nuances. The lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think John Landis said that they're they're Jewish Americans. I, I think that, mm-hmm. that you know, it's not a secret that that this is a really kind of middle class Jewish uh, friends here. Yeah, they they go sow their oats and then they go to college and then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so like, 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 let's talk about that, like that mutant Nazi dream sequence, which is probably the most terrifying dream sequence in the whole movie. It, it that scene really freaked me out. I mean, when I was a kid, because it's 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 first of all, first off, it's so weird, it's so unnerving, <laughs> it's so disturbing, and I think as a kid, I couldn't really comprehend what was going on. And yeah, because it, it was all over the place, and then there's kids in it, and they're just sitting there watching what Kermit the Frog. Yeah, the Muppets. The Muppets. Yeah, the Muppets, <laughs> and then the the guy goes to answer the door, and yes. at the door. I'll get it. All right, all right, hold your horses. All right, already. And so, it was all over the place. It's disturbing. It's like they get gunned down. I think that's the most disturbing thing. And then it ends with with Jack getting his throat cut, and then it cuts to him waking up into the hospital. And then Nurse Alex goes to open the the, the window. window. Yeah, the, <laughs> and, and it then, happens again. Happens Dude, again. that I, I'll fall for that every time. I'll <laughs> fall for the dream into the dream. I do. I'm a sucker for that one, man. But this is the first time 
I think I remember it happening in a movie. Yeah, yeah. And that part, the so that first part, it did. It set you up because it was so weird and so strange. And they even showed the kids getting shot. Yeah, it's disturbing. For most, yeah, for most movies, they don't do that. <laughs> and then he wakes up and you're like, oh, it's over. And then he opens the curtains and the thing just jumps on her and it's just stabbing her and stabbing her. <laughs> and he wakes up again. I'm like, holy shit, if it's another dream. It's like when, when you're like seven years old, you're like, I can't take anymore. I think also what's also great about these nightmare scenes is that you get Jack coming back from the dead. You know, you get Griffin Dunn. I, I don't know. We should, we should really talk about Griffin Dunn because I think when he he comes back as this undead Jack, he does a really great job. He's, you know, he's in, in prosthetic makeup. Uh, we see his throat is torn out. He has large, bloody gashes across his face. It's really astonishing work from Rick Baker. I think this is well, it really holds up. Oh yeah, visually he's he is everything that a nightmare is made of. <laughs> yeah. And then he opens up with like, are you gonna finish that? Like Oh yeah, yeah. Like hey, lolly duh, like <laughs> like, hey, how's it going? He's hungry, can you have some of that leftover food? You know what I mean? It's like that was his his way to ease David into this. Yeah, you know what I mean? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's a little disturbing, but <laughs> let's just pretend nothing happened. <laughs> Yeah, this is, you know, probably my favorite scene from the this new rewatch because I I never really got to appreciate what Griffin Griffin Dunn did in this performance. He is phenomenal. I think he steals the scene and think arguably, arguably he steals the whole movie. I mean, uh he's he's really good and you know, working through the prosthetic and he's able to, you know, the way he says like David like <laughs> is brilliant. To David, yeah. <laughs> And you got to think about it too. He he interacts more with people than anybody else does. He interacts with David. He interacts with the victims. You know what I mean? He's he's actually got more range as far as that character goes than oh yeah, almost yeah. anybody else does in the film. And you got to think he's doing this with flaps of <laughs> like what should be meat and skin just hanging off of him. He's disgusting looking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me play a clip from from that scene. I'm going completely crazy. David! What? Now, I'm really sorry to be upsetting you, but I have to warn you. Warn me? We were attacked by a werewolf. I'm not listening to this. On the moors, we were attacked by a lycanthrope. A werewolf. I was murdered. An unnatural death. And now I walk the earth in limbo until the werewolf's curse is lifted. Shut up. The wolf's bloodline must be severed. The last remaining werewolf must be destroyed. It's you, David. What? Please believe me. You'll kill people. Nurse! That dialogue is hard to hard to act, you know, to deliver. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's the dialogue itself on the page sounds like maybe something that would come from an EC horror comic book, and and the way Griffin Dunn sells it, it's, it's really great. He 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 pulls it off. He sounds believable, and he kills this scene. And I think any other actor with that same dialogue would probably come out, come off as a joke. Or maybe even like a bit of a, a cartoon character, but Griffin Dunn was able to like pull pull this scene together. He's brilliant in the movie, and the the way he does it, it's kind of like it's it's an almost an un unseen but felt urgency, and it's kind of like a 
I don't have time to explain everything, but you just got to believe me. And it's like, I know this hurts and you don't want to hear it. You know what I mean? So he's still, he's trying to deliver something that's very bad news as nice and quickly as possible. I don't know. It's a, you still see the friendship through it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He yeah. never, I think he never, he never stops being his friend. Uh, oh yeah. You know, like even when he is later on a puppet, <laughs> like a skeleton puppet, he still is like very, he's still, he's, you know, he's uh, still his friend forever. You know, and so it's actually quite sweet. <laughs> and I think it's genius that Landis, instead of just keeping him that way, yeah, made him get more and more, mm-hmm. uh, what would you call it? A, uh, deteriorating yeah like uh not corpsifying but like rotting basically yeah 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 he doesn't he's like because in the next next visit that david gets from day uh, from jack he his flesh is decaying he is huh. he has no color i mean the color yeah, that it's you like, is like green gray it's like kind of devoid of life the makeup is still remarkable. I mean, I think Brick Baker's makeup holds up to this day. It's still better than a lot of uh, a lot from what we get from movies today. I mean, the makeup is incredible. And this is forty years ago. I mean, this is incredible yeah, it, work. But it's smart though. It's like he looked at different different levels of dead, and he matched the first original. Uh, what would you call it? The the first trauma and how it leaves you. And then maybe sitting in the coroner's office for thirty days, you know what I mean? The the shiny, everything's dry, but now you're just kind of like almost starting to fester and rot. Yeah, <laughs> and like it's like he must have had a book where it just showed him the different levels, and he was he was on par, just bang, bang, bang. Yeah, because like what you said at the end, he's just like a, a bottom jaw. <laughs> you yeah. can see his whole it's just like a skeleton and it was just eyeballs like yeah, yeah, yeah it, was, I mean, it was amazing it, what i really love about when when jack comes back to visit david it really feels like a christmas carol it, it feels like <laughs> ebenezer scrooge he's you know when he's visited by the ghosts of christmas past and present and you know future and stuff and then i always felt like you know a christmas carol and the character Scrooge felt like a horror movie to me, you know? So I love that Landis has, has incorporated this kind of supernatural element into a werewolf mythology because why not? You know, just, just because it's a werewolf movie, who, who's to say that you can't have zombies in it or ghosts or, you know, mutant Nazis. It's like, yeah, let's throw everything in it. It's, it's almost weird too, because the more he sees, uh, Jack, he you can see that he's kind of he feels less i i guess you would say he's he's coming to terms with it he's almost yeah it's almost like a oh like i'm like he's seeing his friend again like it's not as traumatic and it's almost like more comforting that he's seeing him because at first it was just it was a whole scary thing and then it was him and him like even i think the second time they interact more like when they were on the moors arguing back and forth and then on the third time he's just like you know you're ridiculous you know what i mean it's <laughs> it's it's almost like they're progressing back to when they were friends before it was all scary yeah. like this he's the, gross and come back from the dead and 
then it's like they're friends again. Yeah, the ch- the the, sh- the initial shock kind of wears off, and then yeah. now we can talk on on friend basis. And I I think when when Jack comes back, he is trying to s- save David in a lot of ways. He's trying to stop. Oh him. yeah, he's trying to prevent him from becoming this monster. Like what we were saying, he continues to be his friend, and I think it's a it's a it's an interesting kind of friendship, you know. Yeah, David needs him because I mean, he hooks up with the nurse, but <laughs> yeah. technically, Jack's is still his only friend in the country. Yeah. 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 His parents don't come. He's still there by himself. Yeah. Let's talk about the nurse, nurse Alex, because I think, you know, from doing the rewatch, uh, Jenny, the British actress, Jenny Agutur, Agutur is really terrific, I think. And, and, and I think she is so, <laughs> she's sophisticated and she's probably the most adult person in the room. You know, she comes across as this really sensitive, affectionate woman, but she also is a real woman in this movie. Yeah, I mean, she at the, the very beginning, she's kind of like, "Hey, I've had four lovers." You know what I mean? She's like, <laughs> yeah. "This is this is me." Yeah, yeah. She's like almost like a a teacher, and he's like the the eager student type of deal. I'll be perfectly honest with you, David. I'm not in the habit of bringing home stray young American men. Well, I should hope not. I find you very attractive and a little bit sad. Go on. I've had seven lovers in my life three of which were one-night stands. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but... Perhaps you'd like to watch telly whilst I take a shower. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance with the stars above and Yeah, it's, it's, it's very kind of... <laughs> classical romance i guess maybe because like it feels like maybe that uh world war ii type of romance where the soldier falls in love with the nurse type of thing you know yeah and think about it he's bringing absolutely nothing to the table no he's like he's He's crazy he's poor (laughs) he's got nothing and she takes him home like like a puppy like a lost yeah that's why that's what i was thinking like david is a lost puppy in a lot of ways and you know he is i guess because he's innocent and but you know he that's that's the thing about what she was what nurse alex has to do she has to uh to take care of him take care of and also pull off that 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 yeah, it, it had to make it has to make sense that why she falls in love with David, even though that he doesn't provide anything with the relationship. Yeah, she brings nothing to the table. <laughs> so yeah, it's like she's a she's a the consummate helper. She's a nurse. Yeah, it's a, she's, she sees something. She has to help. She's kind of like an empath. Yeah, she's and I found her. I found her to be really sultry. But also maternal, I guess, and and I don't know. I thought I thought what what the actress here did is just terrific. I think she pulls it off, and you add a little Van Morrison in the, in the project, yeah. and then you get the sexy love scene. You get the the, the shower and then stuff. And I, I I don't know. To me, that that's the, this part in the movie really felt adult to me when I was a young kid. Like, oh my god, they're getting you know it's, they're having sex. Oh my god, what the hell? They just met. <laughs> they're not married. What, What's going what on? The parents gonna say. <laughs> Yeah, no, she's she's actually amazing. If if you break down just her role and all her little parts, I mean, she really progresses the film, and it's kind of like she is, she's like a like a little, what would you call it a like a beacon in the storm that's happening to him. Oh yeah, good point. She, good point. Yeah, she keeps him kind of grounded and something to stay around and kind of like there is hope type of deal. 
exactly. She has this. Maybe there's a possible future for him if he could survive this. He does. She. That's what she provides. Some kind of hope. Yeah. Yeah, and she's definitely like his only actual friend is dead. So she's the only one that's living. That's like pro David. <laughs> yeah, everyone else. Like, is, yeah, everybody wants him out of here. You know, like go yeah, back even, home. You know. <laughs> yeah, even the 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 guy from the consulate just basically calls him an a hole and <laughs> bunch of these. What he said? These like uh, these damn kids uh, don't. Dumb ass, yeah, dumbass kids don't even appreciate anything you do for him. Mr. Kessler, Mr. Kessler, try not to excite yourself. I shall come back and check on your progress and send a report to your parents. The police have requested to interview you. And I have given them permission to do so. Thank you very much, Mr. Collins. He'll rest now. I'm sure everything will be fine once he's adjusted. He's had quite a shock. These dumbass kids, they never appreciate anything you do for them. That, that is played by Frank Oz, who is famous for... Really? <laughs> he was famous for uh, providing the... The, the voice of, you know, actually uh, the Muppets, uh, Miss Piggy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But also Yoda and, you know, and she he's also a director. That's, yeah. That's... God, I didn't even put that together. He was so young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm looking right now. Yeah, I see him right there. Yeah, he's great. Oh, it's, a great it's a great bit where he's, and that's, you know, yeah. like Landis puts these little bit characters for comic, comic relief, you know? I was going to say the two <laughs> detectives, man. Yep. He's got the old guy and the young guy, and the old guy doesn't want. It's but if you think about it, it's kind of a lot like the story. It's a, uh, it's the the older guy said in his way. It's like the old, uh, like the pub. It's like nope, this is just the way it's done. This is our business. Yeah. Blah blah blah, and doesn't want anything new. Doesn't want to listen to the young guy. Uh, they they're actually pretty funny to me. Oh it's yeah, almost like a yeah like comic relief those two yeah it's like keystone cops and you know the taller the younger cop is he's always bumping into things and like he gets at one point he like he gets locked out or something yeah he knocks knocks down all the bedpans right right off the bat yeah and then the second time we see him he gets like uh, gets his the door uh locks or gets slammed in his face it's like yeah, he's, oh, yeah. it's, it's always yeah. like comedy uh, old school comedy classic bits that that works it works it works in this movie because you need that levity in this in this kind of horror film you know yeah and it's not so it's not so over the top and doesn't take over the the film it's it's done subtly and just to the side so it's perfect let's go back to david david's second did we talk about david's second visit yeah that one's funny because yeah that's the one where uh jack shows up with the mickey Mickey Mouse? The Mickey Mouse stuff, yeah. Yeah. Jack kind of gives him, like, the final kind of, like, you have to kill yourself, you know? It's, like, it's very... He's more kind of... Um, this was ominous because he was, like, the rider on the storm. It's, like, you've had until now, and now you're going to see. You know what I mean? It's, like, you didn't believe me, but it's coming. What are you doing here? I wanted to see you. Hi, David! Put that down. I'm sorry I'm upsetting you, David, but you don't understand what's going on. I understand, all right. You're one of the undead, and I'm a werewolf. Yes, that's right. Get out of here, Jack. Tomorrow night's the full moon. You're going to change. You'll become... I know. I know. A monster. You've got to kill yourself, David. Before it's too late. And what I really like about the like the first half of this movie is that mostly it's it's David trying to figure out, figure out that if he if he's crazy or not. And 
I guess as an audience, we don't know. I mean, David might be making this up. This might be all in his mind, but boom, we get the iconic transformation werewolf scene. And this is what the movie is most famous for. Oh, yeah. And for good reason. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, from beginning to end. It's amazing. It's it's a feast for the eyes and the senses. <laughs> and up until this point, everything else that scared people, like, got thrown out the window hard. It's it's like, yeah. uh, if you remember the first ones, they uh, old school Universal, they'd walk behind a tree and on the other <laughs> side. You know what I mean? They had a little bit of fur painted or glued on them yeah, yeah. walk behind another tree all of a sudden they had fangs <laughs> and another tree you know, crazy movie magic a couple that, a couple of dissolves and then you know yeah boom he's a, a werewolf but now. to see it dude this blew people's minds mm-hmm. the tr- and i mean the the genius behind the how he did it was what what still gets me to this day like like the the hair pulling it in reversing it oh yeah dude that changed the game <laughs> who said that film has to be one way you know what i mean it's like that outside the box thinking was amazing that that changed special effects it had to have. and i think it's still it's still like bar none the best transformation scene in cinematic history i don't, I don't think no one has surpassed it yet it's and it's still, like i said it's this movie is 40 years old and, and it's still the number one uh, iconic yeah, like scene if, if you go to special effects school they have to play this. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? This is one of the things that they show you probably. And what I like that the way John Landis sets it up, he sets it up really perfectly because David is sitting in his living room and he's reading a book. And apparently the book, it's it's a Mark Twain book. It's a the Connecticut uh, Yankee. Yeah. Connecticut King Yankee. Arthur's Court. Yeah, King's, King Arthur's Court, which apparently uh, Landis wanted to adapt this book into a movie, uh, but he never got a chance to. It was like kind of a, lost passion project but but what i really love about this scene is that this is this scene is not pussing footing around this is it gets right away and david is in pure agony and he we feel it as he feels it and he screams like he's been shot in the gut uh it 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 starts off with sam cook's version of blue moon and uh, let me play a clip uh of the transformation the famous transformation scene The way they use the cook song is so great because it's a soft, it's a sweet rendition of Blue Moon juxtaposed to the image of David on the floor screaming in agony. It's like, well, not just even the image. I mean, you hear the cracking in the back <laughs> through the song. Yeah. And like Landis would later use the same song, but a different version at the end credits to get a laugh kind of like it's a doo-wop kind of peppy version. Yeah. <laughs> But I love I love the way he kind of uses I love the way he uses songs in this movie. There's also a Bad Moon Rising from the Credence Clearwater. Yeah. Late, you know, just previous to this this scene. But uh, yeah, it's it's like it, again, it feels so real. And and uh, 
And it's the point where David kind of realizes that he is a, were a real werewolf now. It's well, not it's but, not in his mind now, you know. Yeah, and, and what I love about this is uh, they have the hand grow, you know, that, that's a famous scene where the hand elongates. But this is the first full body transformation. Like when his spine spikes up, you see it and you feel it, but it's still tight on the spine. It's still tight on the face. Then he flips over, man, and your mind's blown because it's the full, it's the full human. You know what I mean? It's the full shoulder to feet. It's got the elongated torso. Yeah. And uh, when you, you can actually look, uh, if you go on IMDb, it's got the photos. And if you go through it, they, you know, they cut out the floor. Yeah. Yeah. So he's underneath it. And that's a fake genius, dude. But I mean, nobody ever went that far. You know what I mean? Nobody showed the whole thing. So. I mean, this as a kid, I was like, "This is this is some real shit. This <laughs> this isn't special effects. Somebody caught this on video. You know what I mean? Like, this is real." So I mean, think about how they've never done that before, man. I know it's it's it was mind blowing. It's it's mind blowing now. Yeah, <laughs> just just think how people felt back then. It, it's it's truly amazing. And I actually pulled a clip from a an old interview that David Nodden did uh, and he talks about the transformation scene when i first got this role i met rick baker who did the makeup and um he said are you playing the david character i said yes i am because i feel sorry for you i said, <laughs> I said you know wait a second this is like a, a a real good role for me or for an act for any actor what do you mean you feel sorry for me and he said you'll see and uh i saw right i basically couldn't do anything but just sit there you know and sit there and, and you know 10 hours a day for, for six for six days um, of this transformation and uh, shoot for a couple hours and then they said take go take the makeup off you know which would take about three hours and see you tomorrow we're gonna do this again and I tried to say maybe I could leave the country the hardest part was uh, there's a point where the body actually stretches it's no longer my body uh, my body's in the floor it cut a hole in the floor and I was put into the floor on a break everyone would leave the set I'd still be on the floor. They'd relight, I'd still be on the floor. And that was a tough day of work. But uh, the payoff is, you're gonna, you know, is a uh, transformation unlike anything anybody's seen. And it won Rick an Academy Award. It was a tough, it was a tough scene to shoot. <laughs> for him it was, yeah. <laughs> well, when the special effects guy meets you for the first time, and feels sorry for you. You know something's gonna happen. But like, this still gets me. And like you said, dude, when you watch it now, it's still... Yeah. It, it it might not send shivers up your spine, but you're just like, Jesus, how did they... It's so good. Yeah, I think this time around, you really appreciate the, the craftsmanship of what Rick Baker does and or did in this scene in, the, in this movie. And it's special. It doesn't come along, you know, every time. You know, there are thousands of makeup jobs that look terrible. And, yeah. uh, you know, Rick... Baker is a genius, and I'm really appreciated that we we got to live through it. You know, personally live through it. You know, and you see what's I'm going to say something here, and it's it's horrible, but it's the honest to God's truth is that I was never actually impressed with the full werewolf, <laughs> like when it's on the streets in the in the end at the movie. I I did not. Because uh, I want the I want the half man half wolf. You know what I mean. I want the bipedal. Oh, I, I, it's just something. It was so, 
and I understand why they had to do it that way, but it was just so much, like, front, like, ribs up, like, wide, mm-hmm. and I saw the making, so I know that's, you know, that's how they had to work it, but when, yeah, when, even when it sits there and it's, like, it's got, it's it's too wolfy for me, mm-hmm. and then it doesn't look wolfy enough because of how thick it is, like a like a big ass turtle, you know what I mean? He's like, <laughs> it's boxy. He was too too, too boxy, too, too yeah, too body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like he he did a lot of lot of uh, bench press, but not <laughs> he didn't do any squats. You no know leg, I mean? no le- he, he he skipped the leg day. Skipped leg day, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny too because from the shoulders up, loved it. It's just. I wish it was more, and it's funny because it is still my favorite, and it still scared the crap out of me. The transformation was awesome, but I just expected it to be more stand y mm. You know what I mean? So, would you want it a Wolfman like? You know, like a like a humanoid? No, I wouldn't. If if he went back and I saw Rick Baker, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm thinking about keeping this thing on all fours," or, or what should I do? Should I bring it up on twos? I would <laughs> say no, keep it on fours because I know how great that was. Uh-huh. Trying to overshoot it for the two, maybe the world wasn't ready for it, you know, or the special effects weren't there. Because mm-hmm. two would have been really hard to do, and it might have cheeseballed out. But in all honesty, that's it. As scared as I was, I was always like, towards the end, I was like, ah, you know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't look very fast. You know what I mean? It's well, like, <laughs> well, I don't yeah. know. Uh, well, Rick Baker did want it, wanted to do a bipedal. Yeah, and and it was John Landis who said that I wanted the four-legged wolf, and yeah. and then see the thing is the story goes that because uh, they did Rick Baker did John Landis' first movie Schlock, which is in early seventies, and he John even back then John Landis wrote this script uh, American Werewolf in London, and he wanted to do the movie right after Schlock, and of course no one wanted to you know finance it yeah and he went on to do those you know incredible comedies comedies that made him a star you know made him a bigger player in hollywood and then he could do his passion project but uh when he was talking to rick baker they were already collaborating and they were saying like i want to do this transformation scene where you know things stretches and bones are cracking like in and Rick Baker, he told Rick Baker, like, how could you do that? And Rick Baker goes, oh, well, I figure it out, <laughs> you know, like, oh, we'll do, we'll work it out. You know, you do that to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he had no clue how to do it. But I mean, and, but, but, you know, it took 10 years. So he, he did have time to figure it out. And he, and boy, did he figure it out, you know? I don't know. I think it's just that I wanted the wolf to be so much, not just so much more, but it was as scary as it was when I saw that that part. I needed it to be so. It was kind of like blow your mind, blow your mind, blow your mind. That's it. <laughs> so it's it's really it's really Rick Baker's fault for setting that bar so damn high. Let's talk about that scene where David calls home to say goodbye to his family. Oh, and I, he's in the booth. Yeah, I think this scene, watching it again after a decade or so, hit me harder than than anything before uh unfortunately i think david nodden uh his limitation kind of uh, kind of shows he's you know he look he's a young actor at this at this point but he's not bad in this in this scene but i think the scene could have used or could have been done with more emotions yeah because if he's coming to grips with this might be the last time yeah 
But I think I think that doesn't change the immense weight of the scene. And no, it, and it kind of it kind of adds to like what you you said about how young and naive he is to even to the situation and the gravity. That's true. That's true. Yeah, and I think yeah. it, it also shows his his development as a character. I mean, he's start starts off as this kind of wide eyed you know optimist, and now he is kind of knows that he's has to do something. He yeah you know needs you know he needs to probably off himself and i i really kind of you know he i think he he finds himself standing at a fork in the road and what i i think this scene what i really like about this particular scene is that it's it's now the rest of the movie is going to be defined by david's decision but i also kind of really love the the fact that david is talking to his his little sister and not his parents it, it, the dynamic was better than he than if it was his mom that answered. Yeah, and yeah, be, I like that. And the way he's, you know, let me play a, a, that clip because I think it's it's really touching. And please don't forget what I told you about mom and dad, that I love them, and I love Max, and I, and I love you too. No, I do. No, I'm not being silly, you little creep. You promise? Okay, will you be a good girl then. Yeah, I love you. Goodbye. The way he talks to his sister, he, I think he's he's he has to be re- reassuring and also poignant. And I think he's kind of disguising disguising his words a bit because, and he's masking his feelings a bit because he 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 knows this is his last, most likely his last phone call, and in his mind, this is probably the last time he's going to be talking to to his sister. And I, even though that David nodding the actor maybe played it a little bit more conventional, I just still found it very moving and heartfelt this this time around. Yeah, no, it was very good. And I mean, uh, I guess maybe this was the way they did it was kind of a, a way for him to seem like he's holding back his emotions because he's talking to a, a child. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you don't want to scare you don't want her last memory of you, you freaking her out. You know what I mean? <laughs> that would be horrible. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I, I do actually like that he makes the phone call instead of just no call. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So something is, there is still there's a, like a little closure. Yeah. Because we don't see the parents other than in that horrible, disturbing nightmare. That oh, he yeah, has. exactly. <laughs> so it, it ties in with that scene here. My, I was surprised that, that this was the type of, this type of morally conflicted uh, and humanistic scene kind of exists in this type of horror comedy. Because <laughs> the very next scene is David in the porno movie theater. Yeah. It, that's the, what's so cool about this movie. There's sweetness to the movie. and But that porno scene is also <laughs> it's really funny as well, you know? And also disturbing because now he's, 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 he's getting David, he's getting uh, to see Jack for the third time in the final it's his final visit and you know yeah, and he's <laughs> just bones and rotting flesh and yeah yeah it's a he's a total skeleton and 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 you could see like the difference between jack and david's newly murdered victims who come back from the dead to to haunt him in this scene in the porno scene and they're all angry <laughs> and they all want to die they want all want him to die as soon as possible and like jack jack goes hey this is my friend here man you know yeah. <laughs> what shall i do suicide you must take your own life 
That's easy for you to say. You're, you're already dead. No, David. Harry and I and everyone you murder are not dead. The undead. Why are you doing this to me? Because this must be stopped. How shall I do it? Sleeping pills. Not sure enough. I could hang myself. No. No, if you did it wrong, it could be painful. You'd choke to death. So what? Let him choke. Do you mind? The man's a friend of mine. Well, he ain't no friend to me. Gentlemen, please. The gun! I know where you can get a gun. Don't I need a silver bullet or something? Oh, be serious, would you? Yeah, that's that's well, pretty cool. Because we didn't actually talk about his rampage. Yeah, well, let's talk about let's talk about a little bit because really in this movie it's only two nights. I mean, uh, I when if you would have asked me when uh, before I watched this movie again for the first time in in so many years. I would have thought this movie was filled with kills and bodies. And no, really, it's kind of a... <laughs> yeah, like weeks worth of body counts. <laughs> yeah, this movie is really kind of like... It, take, it takes like a full hour before we get to, to that you know iconic transformation scene. And, yeah. and really just two nights of him becoming a wolf. And it's kind of really yeah, and simple. This, yeah, And technically, the second one, everybody knows. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's, yeah. yeah he's, he, he's in the theater, but like, yeah, the first night he got... He, he gets people in the park. He gets the homeless people, <laughs> and then he gets to meet him again when he's in the porno theater. But it's it's kind of funny because it's it's like he could survive as this this creature could survive in an older version of England, but in a newer version of he's got no place. You know what I mean? Ah, that's a good point. I like yeah, that. So it depends on how deep you want to take it. I just. <laughs> And I just to jump back a, really quick, I wanted to really talk about like one of the victims, the, the subway victim, because um, I think that's my favorite line in the movie when he goes, I am a victim of your carnivorous lunar, lunar activ activities. <laughs> yeah. I want you to meet some people. David Kessler, this is Gerald Bringsley. Gerald's the man you murdered on the subway. We thought it best for you not to see him as he's a fresh kill and still pretty messy. Yes, I do look most unpleasant. Why are you doing this to me? This isn't Mr. Goodman's idea. He's your good friend, whereas I am a victim of your carnivorous lunar activities. <laughs> I didn't realize this, but that is played by a, this Scottish actor, Michael Carter. And I thought, you know, I didn't really know who that guy was. I thought that was a great line that he delivered, and I looked him up. And for Star Wars fans... People would know him as the guy who played Bid Bid Fortuna in Return of the Jedi. He is the Jabba the Hutt servant. Oh shit! <laughs> he is, dude. He's the one that the Jabba this Jabba throws to the side because he was too feeble minded and yeah. the, the Jedi tr mind trick. Holy crap, dude! I would have never got that until right now. But yeah, he is the 100%. guy. Hundred percent. That's him. Master. Whoa. I must be allowed to speak. Jedi mode speak go eat. Dude, that's the best. <laughs> that's the best trivia right there, dude. <laughs> 
But I, and I wouldn't even know it because I, I because I wasn't even looking for it. I just because I love that the way he delivers that that line, and I go, I I gotta know who this guy is. And but as soon as you said it, dude, I was like, holy, his face. That's his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn. And you, okay, you know, and we did go over because I was talking about how I didn't like that scene. Actually, I was just looking at it in the picture. It's funny because when you're watching a videotape and you're trying to pause it, it you lose a lot of clarity. So I was looking at the subway scene and I retract. Like earlier when he comes out it was pretty gnarly it did look pretty cool but going back to the whole perspective of the werewolf and you were talking about the same guy so i'll bring it i'll go back around i i loved the way that kill ended because the guy like basically gives up but he falls on an escalator so he's going up yeah 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 and then the camera slowly walks up you know what i mean it wasn't like a a pounce it was like, I can take my time because you're not going anywhere. You know what I mean? It's like, oh. Like, it doesn't even stop at his feet. I think it stops up around his mid-torso. So, that's, that was very that was very well done, too. Well, I mean, so, like, we got the final transform- transformation in the porno scene. And the the, the, we, the, the movie kind of ends in this kind of symphony of chaos. It's like the last 10 minutes of this movie is just pure chaotic mayhem. And you know the the werewolf escapes from the porno theater, and it it just jumps it just jumps and like you were saying bites the head off the lead police detective clean off yeah but not the funny one <laughs> yeah no the the, 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 the older the ser- yeah the serious jerk, guy yeah. yeah and his his head goes rolling into the streets and then boom it just it's like the werewolf is on the loose it's causing havoc everywhere well it's great actually because the head bounces off a hood. <laughs> that's true yeah yeah it bounces off the head of a guy it's kind of like conan the barbarian with the, the heads rolling down the the uh, steps <laughs> exactly <laughs> so you know it so the the werewolf is running around piccadilly circus which is apparently london's version of Times square and yeah. I, this is what this is how you end a horror movie. <laughs> this, this is the way you'll end it. You have car, pure mayhem. You got cars crashing into each other. People are flying through windows. Bodies are getting rolled over. They're screaming. They're yelling. And Dude, it's there's just, a guy that gets sandwiched. Yeah. Remember that car skids into the other car and they it, sandwich the guy in between? There was a cop. Yeah, some cop gets sandwiched. There, the, at one point, there's a guy who gets hit by the car and he goes through a plate glass window of a restaurant or something right and that's john landis in his cameo <laughs> oh nice and he hits like in, in that scene he hits like an older woman and both of them go through the, the plate glass window uh it's it's like and like i said it's like this is this is how you end a movie man this yeah. is like pure bedlam <laughs> Sister Hobbs said there's a disturbance in Piccadilly Circus involving some sort of mad dog. David. You, you hear the chomping dude of the teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's our, they used to freak <laughs> me out, man. Because it was like, because, you know, you got to, you got to close your mouth awfully damn hard to, <laughs> to make that kind of sound. And it's just chomping, like just biting towards, not, he didn't bite anybody, but just, it's just get, biting it's tr- at people. Yeah, oh. it's, it's like a, you know, it's like a rabid dog and all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's talk about the ending. 
because I think it's it's an interesting way to end this movie. It's it's a bummer. It's 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 like David gets gunned down by the police and but and it's funny because of course it's London, so they had to call for people with guns. Oh yeah, good yeah, point. Because yeah. they don't have guns, man. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, in a way, I think maybe we think because Nurse Alex runs down to the to Piccadilly Circus, and I think she, there maybe we're hoping that she could somehow talk him down but in the end i guess love doesn't conquer all or maybe yeah because it's it's almost like the doctor who had a, a good a good little part even at the end right, right, right. still wasn't believing that it was an actual werewolf it was yeah there's something about a rabid dog and if david's down there he might hurt somebody you know what i mean it's like oh, no, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's david so yeah she breaks free and but she he had alluded to it earlier when he asked her if she saw the the Wolfman, the original, and yeah. that it takes it kind of takes someone that loves you to kill you, and she didn't pull the trigger, but she kind of got him to come at her so that they can gun him down. Yeah, and it, we think maybe there there was a, there could be a chance for her to like win him over some way, but you know it it doesn't, and it and and then we get that you know smash cut of of the doo-wop version of a blue moon <laughs> which is a, kind of a little bit of a jab you know for people who are bummed out because <laughs> it's like, oh yeah <laughs> and, the, and the funny thing is that uh he dies with the classic 80s we can't show penis yet pose oh <laughs> he's butt naked because he was just a werewolf but somehow he managed to die on his side <laughs> You know what I mean? Because that would be that would be, be pushing too much, right? <laughs> yeah. Push, no, but we did we do see some front, you know, it, it, when he's naked in the zoo, we do see some. Yeah, but it's not like that would have been just that would have been too much for the the average viewer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make but you know what would have been funny if they would have put in like a like a little red lipstick, <laughs> like he was still part part wolf at the end. <laughs> Excuse me, your lipstick showing. <laughs> <laughs> Throw a, a jacket over that, please. <laughs> oh, uh, so yeah, that's it. That's American Werewolf in London. We broke it down. Uh, I think we should talk a little bit about the legacy of the film. I mean, I think this movie just lives on. It's a, a timeless Dude, movie. My whole life until that train wreck called American Werewolf or American <laughs> Werewolf in Paris. I always thought mm. the sequel, like that, she was pregnant with yeah. his baby. A werewolf baby. Now, I that always w- wanted them to continue it somehow. It was that the, that was the connection, right? Julie Depp Del, Delpy Delpy Delpy, who was you know the French actress who was in Before Sunrise and all those movies. Uh, is she the the love child of of David and, and and Nurse Alex? That's is that how that's how the movies the two movies connect? No, no way. I th- I thought that was the case. No, no, because well, because she did have a stepfather. But if it is, dude, they never said it, man. And that would be horrible. I think it's in the credits. You really think they connected them? I think they did. I hope not. For the sake of the sake of the the true original amazing movie American Werewolf. It would be it would be the, mo- the mother's the mother's name. Well, she she was Price. She was Nurse Price, Alex Price. Mother sucker. <laughs> it's Price, right? It says Alex Price Pigot. 
Oh my god. <laughs> this is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, I uh, maybe I think maybe you're right. I don't think they like specifically said it out loud or something like that or maybe the Yeah, uh, I yeah. Cuz I don't cuz I did watch it. Uh and it's uh, She just calls her mommy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> you know it's this is the scariest part of the movie. Is what I just found out. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. The two that movies are connected. Piece, yeah, that this <laughs> that this car crash of a werewolf movie actually connected. Oh my Jesus. That's horrible. Well, I mean it, uh everything's uh they could remake it and like like forget sequels now. Maybe they they could do that with a new, yeah, they uh, a new I hope film. they do. That's horrible. I don't even know if I'll be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> Knowing that that's still... It came out, what, 1997? Seven or something? <laughs> yeah. I was so stoked. Yeah, I remember you like, were talking about it. Dude, when I, I, dude I was telling you, I, there's, I had Fangoria magazine, and it was on the cover, and I couldn't wait. It was like, this is what my whole life was waiting for. And yeah, it was... Like I and I remember going to the theater. My girlfriend picked a different movie, so her sister and my friend went to watch *America Wolf in Paris*, and I was stuck watching something else, like *Mothman* or something. <laughs> Prophecies, <laughs> and then they came in halfway through, and I said, "What happened? You guys didn't go to the movies, or you know, you didn't make?" They go, "No." Like halfway through, they got up and left. <laughs> she said, "Everybody was walking out of the movie," and I thought they were kidding. Because they knew how much I wanted to watch it. Then uh-huh. I finally watched it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm I'm too cheap. I'll never leave. But You sat through wow. the whole thing. Whole thing. I Actually, you know, it's funny. I think it came on Amazon Prime the other day, and mm-hmm. I watched it. I watched it to make sure I still didn't like it. <laughs> and it could have actually been good, but way too much CGI. I mean, CGI like somebody's senior project at... USC, you know what I mean? They well, didn't even put any. I guess you could say the argument could be like the CGI is the least of its problems. I mean, yeah. it, there's a lot of problems. I mean, it, it's very much a '90s kind of horror movie. It feels very '90s. It feels like stuck in this kind of an amber. You know, it has uh, uh, who's the the band um, Bush? Bush, yeah. Like it's like so '90s, and so when I watched it for the first time like a couple days ago i kind of enjoyed it in a weird way because it just the first time you saw it was just a couple days ago yeah just for because we're i knew we were going to talk about american werewolf in london so So i I checked it out and uh it does have this nostalgia but i mean it's a terrible terrible movie man and you know what's funny it's it's like literally like the my my genre of, of horror is werewolf there are tons out there, and there are some that are are pretty good, are really good actually. But they're not messing up a franchise. You know what I mean? They're not oh, like oh, this yeah, one. It, yeah. it had winner written all over it, and it just this was personal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like it was like a visceral reaction to it. Yeah, like I would have started freaking out in the movie theater like Jack did. And they would have been like, "Oh, this guy's turning into a werewolf." <laughs> but if, yeah, if you, if I could find the director and eat him, I would. Uh, okay, I guess we end. Uh, we ended. Well, I guess we end the episode with that. I mean, don't, 
if you're going to watch one, watch American Werewolf in London, not the one in Paris. Exactly. <laughs> we. <laughs> I should say that uh, Rick Baker won the Oscar for American Werewolf in London, and he was the first ever um, special effects makeup artist to win this award. It was specially made for this year. And uh, uh, I'm going to end the podcast with his uh, acceptance speech. And uh, I think that's it. I think uh, you want to say any last words before we go? Uh, No, I just, uh, if you haven't watched this, you have to do yourself a favor. You have to watch the movie. It's it's kind of like when you find out that someone hasn't watched The Godfather and you almost don't know what to say or did that really happen? Like, how did you never watch, you know, like a pinnacle movie, but you say you're into movies? Like, oh. you know, did you were you raised on a desert island, <laughs> you know, in the in the jungles of Peru? <laughs> how did you how did you avoid watching it? It's basically. Yeah. So do yourself a favor. If you haven't watched it, give yourself a treat. You're going to love it. American World in London. Timeless. And I guess for future episodes, we're going to be really breaking down some kind of uh, or revisiting some old classic movies from the 80s and 90s, uh, mostly cult movies. And uh, so I hope you enjoyed this episode and, and our breakdown of American Werewolf in London. I, you know, we talked a lot, a lot about it. And again, we love this film. Thank you for listening to uh, to us. And, and uh, here I'll leave you with Rick Baker's oscar speech yeah thanks everybody our uh, next award is a new one the academy has added the past year audiences have gasped at in fright at several terrifying films that made our f- flesh crawl or my mouth crawl as a case may be <laughs> to present that award are the unforgettable stars of two classic movies the house of wax and planet of the apes vincent price and kim hunter Vincent, will you reveal the winner? No, please, you do it. Uh, Openings always make me shaky. (laughs) The winner is Rick Baker for An American Werewolf in London. First of all, I'd like to thank the Academy for creating this new category, and I'm very proud to be the first winner. Yes. I'd like to thank John Landis and George Foley for making the film. David Naughton and Griffin Dunn for their cooperation. I'd like to thank my crew, Doug Beswick, Tom Hester, Steve Johnson, Sean McEnroe, Bill Sturgeon, Kevin Brennan, and Lane Baker for working so hard and doing such a great job. I'd like to thank my parents, Doris and Ralph Baker, for their love and support. And last but not least, I'd like to thank a man who's been a real inspiration to me, Dick Smith, for all that Dick has contributed to the art of makeup. Thank you. For all that Dick has contributed to the art of makeup, he deserves an Academy Award more than any makeup artist I know. Thank you.